Hey everyone, welcome back to Roll for Enterprise. It's good to be back after a couple of episodes that I missed recording. I was at the beach, so I was having fun. Don't feel too bad for me. But it's uh, good to be back with Mike and Zach here. You guys miss me? Yeah, we miss you tremendously. I hope the sand is uh, out from in between your toes, and uh, we're glad to have you back, Dominic. Yeah, welcome back. Thanks, out from in between the toes and everywhere else. But you guys did a great job with Lilac as well. Uh, so thanks, Lilac, if you're listening. Uh, it was really good to hear. And uh, we look forward to getting a few more guests in the next couple of episodes. So stay tuned for that. But uh, this week, we wanted to talk about a topic that's blown up once again. It seems like this is something that comes back every few months or at least once a year, which is cloud repatriation. So the idea behind cloud repatriation is that you're running in the cloud and you decide to move all of your stuff back into an owned data center or a colo or whatever it might end up being. And the question is, you know, how much of this is really actually happening? Everyone talks about you know, Dropbox that moved off of AWS uh, famously. That's the stat that everyone quotes. And then if you ask, okay, any other examples? People tend to start looking at their shoes and uh, trying to find something really interesting off in the distance. So it's an open question, how much of that is really going on? And there was an interesting uh, post by Lydia Leong, the cloud pundit herself, uh, that we'll put in the show notes that discuss some of that. But I want to take a step back and talk about the whole idea of multi-cloud and hybrid cloud. I'm on record as being more bullish than perhaps some about the existence even and the desirability of hybrid models. And this has changed over time, right? A few years ago, 10 years ago, even, the question was, are you going to have multiple clouds, multiple private and public clouds at the infrastructure level? And are you going to try to manage that? Are you going to have a control plane that spans all of those? Are you going to cloud burst? Are you going to burst from one cloud to the other in response to capacity? Are you even going to have some sort of uh, brokerage model that lets you provision infrastructure on the most suitable provider? And pretty much none of that came to pass for the good and obvious reason that if you're making your infrastructure fungible between different providers, different models, between your on-prem VMware and Amazon or whatever, you're by definition, you're limiting yourself to the lowest common denominator to the base features that all of those providers support reliably and in the same way, uh, because anything that's different is going to cause you trouble and pain in that scenario. So I think everyone's pretty much sold on the fact that that's, it didn't happen and it's not going to happen. The underlying features of each cloud have to be similar in order for them to, let's say, burst to each other. And I think everybody envisioned that at some point that they would call a kind of all interplay with each other. The, the problem is like they're not competing against each other yet for them to want to do that. And they're still kind of trying to claim, um, you know, the compute, the storage that's inside traditional, like in the corporate walls data centers, right? So I don't think they have the incentive point to do that. Uh, I, I I agree with you, Dominic, this like repatriation of cloud. I, I think it's a lot to do about nothing. I mean, I, I look at the companies that have moved to, to cloud and, you know, you have the companies that rushed in and, and we're scared they were going to be left out. So it's like all hands on deck. We move everything to the cloud. Those who gave it careful consideration and said, 
Let's move this piece of, of, of the application to it. Let's move this storage pool. And then there's those who have, you know, taken a wait and see approach and not dipped in, dipped their toe in at all. Um, I think the ones who rushed in, I, I want to say are the majority. And you could see that, you know, it's accelerated tremendously. But out of those, I mean, when you start to look at it after a while, you probably have people thinking like, hey, you know, if if an application has the fine compute, the fine storage, like it doesn't make sense to go to this, like get all this elasticity and probably the price models don't make sense anymore. So you would move that back in house, right? Something where you need low latency, you move in house, right? Back in house if you rushed in. But also I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of this is like from a security standpoint, people saying like, wait a second, where's our data? And, and then a whole conversation begins uh, um, around kind of security, privacy, and the cost effectiveness of some of these workloads. I think you have a point there. And I think of the data, there's, you know, data privacy and data protection. They're vastly different. I think a lot of them are looking at data privacy and, you know, data sovereignty. So there are, there are you're right, there are some pulling back, but what are they pulling back? And then I think we also have to think differently about this you know, cloud migration. Are they, what are they migrating? It's not their traditional method of doing things, right? So we think about functions. We've talked about that in the past, a low code apps, and those type of benefits of, of the cloud um, that I think is interesting. And then the thing I think is interesting is what is this name for cloud on-prem? Because I, you know, I, I know it's still part of their cloud, but that's where the biggest growth is. If you look at the earnings out of Microsoft, it's Azure Stack is the biggest part of the cloud growth, and that's on-prem. I think AWS is trying to push on-prem. So you know, I think I think to me that tells me they want to get close to the data, and to me that tells me that. It's that level of security, perhaps, for some organizations that want that data sovereignty, right? That are looking for data, you know, privacy. But then I think, you know, the cloud is not going away because, you know, they've, they've given us some good things. I mean, the, I think the uh, runtime abstraction la layer, right, with the uh, no code is, is interesting. So I, I think there's a lot to this. Yeah, I mean, that's the big thing. And there's been a trend for a while now in commercial real estate uh, and that's before the current trend of everyone just shutting down <laughs> their offices because everyone works from home these days. All of those little on-prem data centers, the data closets, uh, as they were called, that just got shut down because why would we bother having half a dozen or a dozen servers on-prem that we have to babysit? We can just get as many boxes on Amazon as we need or as few as we need, and it's much easier and simpler to do things that way. So I think that type of usage... That, that's gone. That's gone into the cloud and it, it's not coming back. It's never coming back. You're not going to start today if you don't already own that type of setup. There is a whole other tranche of people, as you were saying, uh, Mike, banking especially, that they will even measure the, the meters of cable that they have. Some of the NASDAQ data centers, places like that, they will actually put in cables that are all meticulously measured to be exactly the same length. So nobody has an advantage in a time of flight to the central server to put their bids in a fraction of a millisecond earlier. So they will have these huge coils of cable under the floor uh, just to prove that everyone has the exact same cable runs from their server to the central bid server. So th there are these two extremes. The battle is for everything in the middle. So back when I was pitching cloud management, what I would say was, you know, Many companies, many of, uh, of my customers back then, they had the data center. They were in a position that they already had the data center. They had sunk costs. They had skills in their workforce. Uh, it's uh, not inconsiderable expense right there. And so for them, it made sense to figure out how can I use these resources I already have 
more efficiently? How can I, instead of provisioning an entire bare metal server, I can provision sliced up into VMs, and maybe I can take that a step further with something like OpenStack, and it can behave a little bit more like a cloud. But then hardware refresh time comes around. How many of those servers do you refresh, and how many do you give up on? And so that starts to be a different question. And then there's a third dimension of it. And I wrote a piece about this, which I will shamelessly put in the show notes as well. Uh, But these days, multi-cloud is a little bit of a different beast because the infrastructure is less and less important. Platform as a service is starting to happen. So uh, infrastructure as a service on the one end and software as a service on the other end took off first in cloud. But now platform as a service is a viable thing. People build apps on top of components that themselves live in the cloud. And many of these components are multi-cloud. And that changes the the maths again. Because if I'm buying a, some PaaS component and it requires a particular cloud and it relies only on that one cloud, it runs only in US East 1, and then US East 1 goes down and it takes my app with it, I have a problem. If, on the other hand, I can use a PaaS component that spans multiple regions, multiple availability zones, multiple cloud providers, that's now interesting to me. As long as it's transparent, from my point of view as a user, I have my same API endpoint, it's only upside. And I think that's driving a lot of the new multi-cloud conversation right now in 2020. That, that's probably the biggest um the reason people are looking at, at Azure Stack, right? It's because those components, right. I imagine, are available locally. And, and that's the reason. I mean, would you would you agree to that, Zach, or not so much? Yeah, no, I agree. And I also will say this. I mean, to me, Microsoft is more as a, more like a SaaS, if you will, right? So when I, when I think of the cloud providers, I think of like GCP and AWS as kind of like a developer, you know, stack, right? That's, you know, get your compute, some interesting things. But when I look at Microsoft, I look at Azure, really for me, it's Microsoft 0365. But when you look at Azure stack and what it delivers. Do not discount Azure uh, just as an infrastructure provider. We run on top of that. It is definitely number two ahead of Google, both in terms of how we use it and in terms of customer demand. Enterprises love Azure. No, well, and by the way, you're just going to validate what I was about to say, which is I, <laughs> I, I think, you know, hybrid cloud, uh, we've talked about this before, Mike, hybrid cloud is an IT initiative, multi-cloud is a business imperative, and I think we have to understand that. And it keeps going back to, you know, things that we've talked about, but from the business perspective, uh, to me, it is multi-cloud. Um, you know, when you look at GCP, for example, and, uh, you know, and what they're doing, you know, to compete with GPUs, I mean, NVIDIA's got a problem now, right? Because, I mean, they're able to do you know, um, you know, with their TPUs, they're able to do everything plus more than a GPU. Unfortunately for NVIDIA, though, the GPU is multifunction, right? It's it's monitors and everything right. else. And that's the differentiation angle. As we talked about when we were talking about uh, ARM CPUs in the cloud, that's an angle where infrastructure components can compete with each other because you can say, yeah, you can get the same number of cycles, but I'm going to deliver it with Flash, with ARM. I'm going to have access to these other services. That's the the level of competition. Exactly, right? Well, then you know, then NVIDIA can say, look, NVIDIA is in a unique position because when it comes to AI and things like that, I mean, I think people are realizing, especially what's going on you know, geopolitically, that their data is important. And this goes back to what do you put out there, what you what you don't put out there. So I think this is this all flows in really well. But my point there is I'm not discounting Azure. I think there's a place for everything. But what I am saying is what has helped Microsoft is, in my opinion, some of their SaaS capabilities has set them ahead. I think when businesses look there, they're looking there. Now, Satya is doing a great job with his acquisitions. And we're not even talking about the fight at the edge at 5G 
don't want to go there right now, but you know, they're fighting there. You got wavelength from AWS, but Satya just nailed, you know, great acquisition back in March. Uh, I think it was March, April. Yeah. I think he's even stepping ahead there. So I'm not discounting them, but what I am saying is, yeah, you're right. There's this multi-cloud uh, imperative and every cloud offers something different. Mike? It's a much easier to expand an already existing relationship with Microsoft than to try to have like um, an AWS or GCP start to come in and do- in the door and, and take over. So from an enterprise, like kind of road pa- roadmap, like, yeah, I think Microsoft has the easy road there. Uh, going back to a bit of like the data center space, you, you know, the, the real estate play here it, it it's really clear that companies are you know if you look at what's happened you know these these executives have spent money on large data centers in their buildings right to put in the cooling and 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 they know this and then every time they walk into that room every refresh cycle those components just get smaller and smaller and what you end up seeing in these rooms is like much smaller infrastructure and a big room. And what ends up happening, I think, and, and this is what, what is kind of contributing to the move to the cloud is that, you know, there there comes a time for renewal of, let's say, you know, hey, my, my cooling is starting to have a problem. My power is having a problem, um, you know, and, and then as they, they look to spend those dollars, it gets harder and harder to say, yes, let's spend those dollars because the the square footage is is not growing. It's shrinking, right? So it's becoming it's becoming a you know a, a network closet, a server room. It's it's not a data center anymore, which is why I think also the, the cloud on-prem play is is so strong. It, it's really hard for companies these days to justify building out a data center unless you are, you know, um, a digital native company that has a substantial amount of yeah let's say racks in uh, already in play. Um, I, I think that is, is, is really hard for some companies. So it's just easier to go, to go to the cloud. Yeah. It's the same calculation as provisioned, pre-provisioned throughput uh, versus on demand. Uh, most of the cloud providers have some version of this with slightly different vocabulary and pricing. But if you have a steady state workload, you know exactly how it's going to behave. You'll be better pre-purchasing your bandwidth and your capacity, and whether that means that you reserve your instance in the cloud, or it means you understand it so well that you stand it up in a physical data center you own or you lease. Which is why a lot of the development is is happening in the cloud these days, because I, I think this, you know, every company is taking this like move fast, fail fast uh, approach. Um, and, you know, see if it sticks and, and that you do in the cloud. And then if it gets more permanent, then I think there becomes this like, project to operations point that happens where you're deciding where is this going to live permanently? I, I disagree somewhat. I, it's uh, this notion of it's easier to go to the cloud. I think that's what I was trying to say earlier. I, I don't think it's easier. I think some things are, but some things aren't. Sure. If there's this a new, to, a new pro, a new product you're releasing, right? Where there's a new application. I think, yeah, it might make, it does make a lot of sense. Not that it might, <clears throat> but um, this notion of, oh, it's just easier to go to the cloud is false. We have to think about this. We have to think about this multi-cloud environment. Um, there's there's right now, if you look at uh, some issues that they're having, um, you know, it's difficult to integrate with their IT infrastructure and then amongst each other, you know, integrate with other applications, regulatory compliance, things like this, uh, cost. I think I think there's a lot of things, but I don't, I'm not in agreement that it's, oh, it's easier to go to the cloud. Not at all. I think it's operationally easier, but then the real problems, uh, not, or not the real problems, the real issues begin. I think um, it, there, it's got a use case, but I don't think it's easier to go there. Yeah, I think there are two aspects there. So one is quite simply, uh, we're old. 
<laughs> so no, we're we're coming in from the assumption, you know, we understand how to build a server. I'm betting all of us used to build gaming PCs or whatever from components. Uh, we know how to install operating systems to mess with the BIOS, and this is something that is baked into any IT professional of our generation. Someone graduating now, maybe not. They're going to be much more comfortable with, I go to a URL and I get an API endpoint and I plug that into my code and that's what I go with rather than messing with physical hardware and swapping install media or anything like that. And there was an interesting post by uh, Charity Majors uh, of Honeycomb uh, talking about how ops jobs are changing. There is this assumption in ops that a sysadmin is going to need to come in and put hands on the keyboard and do some command line magic to deliver on a request. And that's obsolete. That's gone. If that's how you're envisaging your job in, in IT ops, uh, you need to get out because there are fewer and fewer of those types of jobs every year. And uh, that trend is not going to reverse. On the other hand, if you come at it from uh, what I would say is a healthier side and you say you're ideal as an ops person is to automate yourself out of being involved in any sort of routine request. If you get paged more than twice for the same thing, you need to write a script for it, which was always my attitude when I was a sysadmin. Uh, then you're going to be in a much better place because now you're moving towards infrastructure as code. The, your users, the developers, the people building the new services uh, can can go and do that without having to get you out of bed at 3 a.m. because something's busted or needs doing. It's a, it's a much healthier attitude. And I think that goes all the way along. Any sort of new service is going to rely more on those you know, young people who are more up to date with uh, newer technologies. The one thing that it might stay on-prem just because of the sheer complexity of migrating is something that's already running that has an operational envelope that's well understood and where the risk factor of changing anything, not specifically changing to the cloud, just changing anything, outweighs that. And then periodically, maybe some major technology gets deprecated, platform gets end of life, what have you. Then you need to take a good hard look at, do we rewrite this thing from scratch? Do we refactor it? Do we figure out how to do a forklift move and buy ourselves another couple of years? Uh, what do we do with this old thing? But there's a lot of mainframe stuff out there, as we talked about with Lilac several times. Uh, it's still at the core of many, many things we do. Travel back when we used to travel, uh, credit cards, all that sort of thing. And that stuff doesn't move, doesn't migrate for a very good reason. Wow. So is, is cloud become the bad guy here in, in some of these roles that will be uh, removed from organizations? I think, Mike, I have a question for you around that. I mean, what's, what's that look like? And then, you know, are we really going to an autonomous operations type model or, or, or what? We've spoken about this in past episodes. And, you know, in, in terms of the the admin roles that, that Dominic referred to, there's definitely a skills gap, right? There, there's going to have to be a skills uptake on on people that can, and, and you know, it's it's typical. Some people will be able to to make that that skills kind of uh, uptick to to the cloud and 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 get the skills they need and be ready for it. And then there's others that won't, and and they'll you know fall off or or be part of the few that are. Yeah, I mean, they'll still be needed, but I think it'll be few and far between. Uh, because it is changing, and yeah, it's 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 really um, difficult because the role the role is changing, and, and and back to your point, like Zach, on like you know companies and and you know the cloud and 
you know, it, it's not so easy. I, I think prep is key, right? There are some enterprises that have, yeah, opened the door and, and given people uh, the keys or the the proper way to access and get resources on, on all three of the big cloud players. And then there are companies who are in, in that wait and see the danger with the wait and see is, you know, you're going to have people in the business ready to swipe their credit card and start to, to build on the cloud. Is that secure? Is that this? Yeah. It all depends how strong your governance is and, and how much uh, authority people within the business have, but we're always going to be playing catch up in, in those type of, of circumstances. Um, and, and, and this is where, you know, if you think about the skills gap, yeah, if anybody from the business can start to put in a credit card and build something in, in the cloud, you, you start to really think like, do you need IT? Yeah, you might need it if you want to, if you're more concerned about privacy, governance, uh, how you control demand, how you grow it, where does it go? I mean, eventually it costs balloon and, and somebody comes in and tries to retract it, right? I mean, how many... How many startups and and software companies have we seen that calculate your spend and recommend like spend improvements on the cloud? I mean, there are a ton of them, I find. Oh, yeah. But we used to do the same thing in the data center and say, how much does a server cost? What's the expected uh, cycle of turnover? How much is the power and cooling? How much is the sysadmin team costing for the care and feeding of that server? And you compare those. Um, No, so my attitude is not, you know, the these people need to be fired that are doing things this way i'm saying you know there's an evolution at play and i was doing this when i was a cub sysadmin seriously two decades ago I, I would try to figure out ways to automate routine tasks and get out of the business of delivering those because that let me focus on a bit more strategic thinking it let me learn stuff it gave me the bandwidth to react to emergencies and out of the ordinary things and um, not me because I was the junior in the team, but my my mentor, my senior uh, sysadmin boss, uh, he was able to go and advise the uh, the programmers, the developers that we were supporting uh, around infrastructure choices. So he'd made himself, he'd made us as the team into trusted partners, trusted advisors. Most companies, I would say more than in the past, will need IT people. It's just the difference will be those won't be some guy who hides out in the closet with an ancient Cisco router and a couple of dozen desktop boxes with Linux installed on them and kept more or less running just by sheer force of will. It's going to be someone who maybe does not own any hardware themselves. Uh, It's going to be someone who can sit there and join in the meetings of a DevOps team and give that ops advice. Sure, you can build it this way, but what's it going to look like in a year? What's your plan for keeping it running? Uh, have you considered these aspects of the maintenance of this thing, of the compliance? Uh, you know, that's the future of ops to me. Yeah, well, you said a compliance, you know, <clears throat> probably going off course a little bit, but I, I have concerns about all this data they have. When we talk about data, right, all this data, I mean, what ultimately, what do we need for, for machine learning? What is the biggest thing we, we need for modeling? and deep learning even it's all this data so if I, now if i think about it maybe these cloud providers are fighting for this data and some of these organizations are pulling back but now i think wow uh how critical are these tech companies we, we think they're critical for for one reason but in reality they're probably not critical they're um you know very important for one reason but maybe the other you know we're not looking at which could be all this data is i mean what do you guys think about that well that's something that comes up in my day job all the time one of our key features is something that allows us to delete data 
uh, to provably delete data in response to a deletion request from a user from a PII subject. And that's something that people ask us for, and they're happy that we can deliver for them. So uh, we talk about data as the new oil. I always say it's more like the new toxic waste. It's a byproduct of something useful. You need to manage it safely and store it safely and get rid of it as soon as feasible because if it sticks around, it's going to cause you problems. We used to say cash is king. I think data is king for, for a lot of companies. Uh, you know, when you look at the the big three, I, I think, you know, to your point, Zach, this is why Amazon has some some problems attracting some customers to AWS, why Google has some trouble attracting customers to GCP. I, I, I still think both are going to need to spin out at some point just to prove that they're separate entities. Um but you know, if you if you start to look at it all, I mean, the power of large data sets, uh, the power to, to train AI. I don't think they're necessarily using it, but they could be using it to figure out what demand is coming, what yeah, m- more to address the enterprise customers rather than use that data elsewhere. Um, I, you know, I, I I struggle with what you said, Dominic, about use it properly, delete it when you can. I think there's a bit of a difference in opinion between Europeans and American companies here. Not to mention Chinese companies. <laughs> yeah, not to mention Chinese companies. Yeah, who you said it first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are more like American companies? But let's not let's not yeah talk that way. But um, you know, I think in, in the U.S., it's it's more of, you know, let's get all the data we can, save all the data we can. It will become useful at, at some point, right? And then if you look to, and, and we spoke about it also in a past podcast about like the Microsoft kind of TikTok acquisition, everybody's looking to train AI models. And that's probably the biggest value of, of, of TikTok to some of these companies. And then you start to think of like all the data going there. You're absolutely right. Which is why I think, you know, going back to the beginning, when we talk cloud appreciation, I think some companies are also thinking like, hey, maybe this data, I don't want it where somebody else can see it. And sure, maybe you can prove to me that no one else can see it. But yeah, how much do I really trust you how much do i trust your governance and you know we've seen some uh some weird things happen out there in the world with with data so yeah some companies are pulling back the reins also for uh for that matter i mean if you think of financial institutions um and some others um medical institutions i, I think they have a real uh, a real struggle out there even though people are saying like hey we have a hipaa proof cloud and, and and so on and so forth oh yeah I don't know how much trust there is and how much, you know, trust capital has been eroded through the years with with the cloud providers. Definitely. This one could go and go, but uh, I want to wrap as a reasonable runtime. Uh, so let's go to recommendations and then we can come back to the topic of clouds. No doubt in a few episodes, there'll be some more news and we'll have another reason to talk about it. But I wanted to share a couple of things. Uh, so one is an app whose time has come very definitely when all we do all day is sit on uh, Zoom meetings and Teams and what have you. Uh, so there's an app called Meter, M-E-E-T-E-R uh, for Macs. It's in the Mac App Store. I'll put the link in the show notes. But what that does is it sits in your menu bar and it lets you join your meeting without having to go and scroll through your calendar and find the thing. And then you wind up with a dozen browser tabs at the end of the day from all the meetings you joined so it's just a super useful little thing it does one thing it does it very well highly recommended they didn't give me any any money for this i just love it that much Uh, and the other thing since i'm just back from the beach i thought i'd tell you all uh, i built a solar panel 
Decathlon, we just discovered in the prequel chat that this is not a thing in the US, but I presume you can get something similar there too. But if you're anywhere in Europe, certainly Decathlon, the French sportswear superstore chain thing. So they sell this little solar panel with a USB socket. And if you have that at the beach on your deck chair, you can charge your USB power bank and keep your phone running for a hard day sunbathing. And my wife definitely took advantage of that. So highly recommended that. Do you guys have any recommendations to share before we wrap? By the way, on the solar panel side, I, I have an anchor one. Uh, I bought it during uh, when a hurricane rolled through here in uh, in the Carolinas uh, in case we lost power and I wanted to stay up on my on my phone. So very useful. And uh, yeah, it stays in the drawer until needed. Um, but you know, with the, the pandemic still going on, uh, no idea when we're going to get back into the office. Um, I, I've started to look more and more at, at my home office. And um, yeah, planning a bit of um, a, 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 an office kind of repaint and, and looking at my desk. I, I've started to look at uh, autonomous.ai. I bought one of their chairs back when the, the pandemic started, the Ergo Chair 2. It's been really great. And uh, I think now it's time for like an up-down desk and thinking also of placement, how, you know, video calls, how do you, you know, what you want to project, what's on the background. So I see a lot of people get starting to give thought to this. And I think the, the home is changing to, to accommodate for, for video, for backdrops, for, for all sorts of things. So yeah, we're, I'm probably going to dip my, uh, my hands in an autonomous.ai uh, smart desk and uh, yeah, just researching it. Just, yeah, that's, that's my, my next one. And, and then I think I got, I got Zach on, on that bug too. Right, Zach? Yeah. You have my guess. Uh, so Autonomous AI has a uh, Zen work pod, which, you know, I'm struggling with space right now and, and where I'm, you know, where I'm sitting and I kind of need some space. I have several monitors. And so for me, what's been on my mind is, you know, do I, do I do an extension, but then came along this Autonomous AI Zen work pod, which, which is amazing. We'll have it in the show notes, but uh, uh, you know, uh, for me, it's interesting. So outside, it's it's a kit that comes, but it's it's a full outdoor uh, working area. That's uh, it's like a little building, if you will, and uh, it's it's quite lovely. A lot of great features, and uh, it'll be in the show notes. That does look really cool. I don't have anywhere to put it, but it looks nice. I look forward to hearing your reports of that one. It, it might turn into a greenhouse and sauna, though, uh, where, where you are, Zach. But let's uh, <laughs> let, let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. Yeah. <laughs> That's my concern, right? How do I get air conditioning in there? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, with that, it's been great to be back. It's, uh, it was a great chat. It's a few different interesting perspectives there. Uh, I certainly enjoyed bouncing my ideas off of the two of you. So as ever, do let us know if you have any thoughts. We have a brand new social presence. You can find us on Twitter at Roll4Enterprise. That's Roll, the number four, Enterprise, all one word. And again, that will be in the show notes. Or there's a LinkedIn page as well, so you can find us where you are. And we look forward to chatting to you there. Thanks, everyone. Thanks a lot, Dominic, and welcome back. Thanks, Zach, and let's do it all again next week. Agree. Welcome back, Dominic. Catch you guys next week. Bye. Bye.